Hello, I'm John Eldridge, and welcome to the Ransomed Heart audio podcast. For more information on Ransomed Heart Ministries, our resources and events, please visit us online at www.ransomedheart.com. I spent a good part of my counseling practice actually counseling Christian college students. And one of the things I found really heartbreaking is the sexual ethic that has kind of crept into Christian young people, Christian singles in particular. And and the idea was kind of a technical morality. The idea was everything but penetration. Mm -hmm. In other words, we didn't, quote, have sex. Therefore, we didn't break the command. And gang, I'm just reporting to you from actual counseling sessions with real college students who are actually committed followers of Christ, mm-hmm. okay? Um, oral sex. Mm-hmm. Everything but, quote, intercourse, mm-hmm. they felt like we're okay, like we haven't committed adultery. And I just wanted to go, whoa, 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 pause for a second. Jesus said, if you look at a person lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. I think if both participants have most of their clothes off, you're probably well past that line, you know? But the illustration being for two purposes. One, Jesus had a way of looking at these things. He had a way of looking at sexuality. He had a way of looking at at what real integrity and purity is, but also where these convictions come from, you know, these positions that we hold and that we don't want frankly, tampered with, you know, I don't want to forgive this guy. I want to feel just in judging him. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't don't want to restrain myself sexually. I Mm -hmm. I want permission to go as far as I possibly can. You know, can we just be honest that most of our convictions, frankly, are fueled by convenience Mm-hmm. self-interest, mm-hmm. Uh, the popular culture around us. I mean, let's push into this, gang. Um, I'm going to guess that at least half of the listeners of our podcast voted for Obama. And I want to say, why? And change isn't an answer. Mm-hmm. Hope isn't an answer. Mm-hmm. That That's as ephemeral as cotton candy. Why? Where did you come to those convictions from? from what... You know, are they born out of? What are they rooted, grounded in? Is it the way Jesus looks at life? Is it the way Jesus looks at the world? Or is it popular culture? Is it what your friends think? You know, I'm going to push into this a little bit. You who are Democrats, would you feel comfortable telling your Democratic friends that you're voting Republican this year because you simply cannot get past the issue of abortion, that that's the line in the sand for you? I mean— No, the peer pressure is too much. You would never admit that publicly. You would never draw that line. Uh, Conversely, conversely, hang on, gang, you who are Republicans, Uh you know, would you be comfortable telling your Republican friends that you're not voting Republican this year because you simply can't trust them on issues of the economy, Mm -hmm. you know, national defense, deployment of the military, you know, Mm -hmm. are you comfortable? going against your culture, where are your convictions coming from Mm -hmm. is the issue that we're trying to bring to the surface here. Yeah. And what are the universal, true, 
realities on how we live, how we interpret life. Because, John, whether it's uh, loving this uh, leader across the country or it's sexual issues or whether it's politics, what I'm always butting up against is, I mean, a reality that I want, long for, define versus a reality that God describes, like in the sexual situation. I mean, are you kidding me? The reality is my impulses, my desires, my longings. That's what feels real. Mm-hmm. And it, I don't know where I'm going here. <laughs> <laughs> but the, I guess the, the, um, it just it just feels like a conflict of worlds. You know, whether it's sex, it or is. whether it's loving. It is. Let's go back to Matthew 19 and Jesus and the Pharisees and the, and the question of divorce. And they ask him, you know, Jesus says, look, that's not what God intended. If you go back to the garden, God created male and female and, and talked about a union that would not be broken. And then the Pharisees fire back. Well, then why did Moses let us, mm-hmm. you know, give our wives a certificate of divorce and send her away? I want to add, for any reason. Okay. So you just want to pause for a second and say that the treatment of women, their legal rights in ancient world was not a happy scenario, gang. And, you know, the ability to simply toss a woman out onto the streets, you know, at which point you're basically consigning her to poverty and destitution as well as community scorn and reproach. And Jesus says, oh, I'll tell you why Moses did that. Because of your hardness of heart. Mm -hmm. And then he goes right back. But it was not this way from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Gang, if you want to look at life the way Jesus did, you start with this assumption. There is a way that it was meant to work. Uh Yeah, there is a design. There is a reality. There is something that is true, genuinely true and very, very real that um, whether we believe it or not, it remains true. And then – Another thought is God's design, how we are to live, interpret the world, how we are to relate. It's discoverable. I mean, God wants us to know um, reality and life and joy and uh, communion with him. And he reveals it in creation, in his word. I mean, he wants us to know. So it's discoverable. In this design... It's universal. It's for all people, all genders, all seasons, all times and epochs. It's 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 everlasting. It's just true. And uh, I think um, I just ran out of gas there. <laughs> Those is, are a couple of thoughts. Uh, Jesus, Jesus, come into this. This is so fascinating. Why is this so difficult to talk about? What's so fascinating about this gang is why is this so difficult to talk about? Um, Why are we sort of fumbling around the issue of Jesus had a way of looking at life, period. Mm -hmm. His way of looking at life is not amendable to your preferences, your politics, your cultural context. It just is. There is a way things were from the beginning. There is a design and why is it awkward to bring that up? Why are we hemming and hawing and fidgeting around this? Because everything in this current age says that truth and reality is relative. There's no absolute. And yeah. for you to say that 
Jesus has a way of looking at life, and, and our best hope is to find that reality, and he is the way, the truth, and the life. It just strikes that chord. Yeah. It can't be. Yeah. See, for one thing, we really prefer to keep Jesus in spiritual realms. We prefer to keep Jesus in religious matters, matters of prayer, matters of forgiveness, matters of certainly the promise of eternal life. But when it comes to other issues like divorce or the kind of movies that you see or who you put in office, ooh, we don't want to drag Jesus into that. But gang, do you see what you're doing? You've separated your world into two realms. You've created, you know, the classic sacred secular distinction. And you're saying God cares about, you know, these seven things, prayer, giving, you know, maybe sex. God cares about church attendance and everlasting life. And on the other side, there's all these other issues that, uh, frankly, are kind of up to you to form your convictions on. And the radical position, frankly, of the scriptures is, nope, nope. Actually, that's not true. There's a design to the universe. All things are God's, and he has a way that he intended those things to work. For example, uh, the book of Romans describes the purpose of kings, and it says, uh, fear the king, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. Okay, so there's an assumption there that part of the purpose of governments is bearing the sword, bringing punishment upon wrongdoers. So what's your position on the death penalty, for example? And where did you derive that position? You know, the the terrorists that took down the World Trade Center in New York. I mean, do they deserve the death penalty? And if your position is yes, where did you get that from? Is it just your own wrath and indignation? If your position is no, no, the death penalty is wrong. I want to say, gang, where did you get that from? Because Jesus is making assumptions of, oh, yes, no, the the government bears the sword. That's right. They do. And, and they do to punish wrongdoing. And yep, frankly, to the point of execution for certain crimes. Scripture is actually pretty clear on that. Mm-hmm. Does that disturb you, listening friends? Does that disrupt some of your convictions? Are you mad at me for bringing that up? Because Why? Where did those convictions, where did those strong feelings come from? Yeah. Gang, let me try running at this from a different angle for a second. Um, This is a second in a series of podcasts we're going to do on how did Jesus look at the world. And what we're simply trying to kind of lay out by way of introduction is, one, that Jesus had a way of looking at the world. Two, that we all also have a way of looking at the world. And three, they don't necessarily coincide. In fact, quite often, uh, the positions that we hold most passionately, which tend to come out, you know, in election years or around uh, church issues or how your teenage daughter spends her time, these passionate positions that we hold, frankly, aren't really informed by the way Jesus looked at things. They They just come from other places, you know, upbringing, culture, our current context, you know, the party that we think is the better party or, or, you know, what have you. But one of the things we're trying to say is that these things matter deeply. The way you interpret life matters very Mm -hmm. deeply. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the purpose of having a worldview. Mm -hmm. Your worldview is what you use to interpret Mm -hmm. life. You have experiences, you have events, you have things happening to you all the time, and then you have the events that are taking place in the world around you, 
And whether you're aware of it or not, you're constantly interpreting those things. You're coming to conclusions. You're making value judgments about them. You're either you know distressed or elated or made numb by it, heartbroken because of the way you're interpreting it. So this isn't just theory. Yeah. John, we're born into a world that is just crazy. And how do we interpret the drama, the evil, mm-hmm. the good, the mystery mm-hmm. uh, on any given Tuesday? What happens and unfolds? I mean, you've said a number of times we need an interpreter to understand the world around us mm-hmm. and what's happening mm-hmm. to us. And I mean, that's what we're hitting on here is we need an interpreter. We need someone to give us a grid or be an anchor and to make sense of this all. Mm-hmm. And I think when what we're talking about is Jesus is the way. He is the way, the truth and the life. And, and somehow uh, to find his perspective, his view, his read, his interpretation on everything that's unfolding, to think as he thinks is the key here. Peter said, where else are we going to go? Mm-hmm. You have the words of life. Yes. King, that's our heart's passion, to discover the way Jesus looked at things. And what I want to do is make two observations to what you just said, Craig. First, I think it's a bit of an epiphany to some people that, wait, Jesus has thoughts, opinions about Walmart, about economics? Jesus has thoughts and opinions about terrorism and foreign policy? What? You know, they, too often times we've truncated Jesus. We you know we've boxed him. We've put them in in the world of the spiritual. Jesus is teaching us to love our neighbor. Jesus yes. is teaching us to confess our sins. You know, um, no friends, no, not at all. Jesus is the Creator, and this is His world, and He has a way of looking at things. The second observation I want to make is I think that a number of of our friends and listeners say, "Yeah, that's right." And the positions that I hold are Jesus's positions. <laughs> you, of course. Well, well, I just want to pause and say, for example, on justice. Mm-hmm. Really? Really? Well, um, isn't it interesting to note that um, thanks to Oprah, thanks to Bono, thanks to Bill Gates, justice is in. Justice is hip. Justice is the cause de jour. I just kind of want to crack up right now at all of the Christians that I know kind of rushing to the justice camp to go, really? You're not being influenced by culture in any way? That Why weren't you concerned about this 30 years ago? You know, why the passion now? So just a little honesty and a little humility will go a long ways to say, wow, right, Um I think we all just kind of assume our assumptions about life are totally justified and somehow derived in a pure, clean vacuum of of uh, just spiritual purity. When in fact we're we're being influenced by a lot of other things that uh, can feel right and good, but may well it, end up not being Jesus's take on that. And just on that note, John. Uh, passion and sincerity on how I view the world or think or interpret things doesn't necessarily equate to it being true or being real. 
let me get this practical for a second so you know why we're headed the direction we are and, and the implications of this. During an election year like this year is, um, you're going to be taking a lot of positions on things and or, or maybe ignoring it all, you know, which is a position in itself also. Um, there is a really pernicious thing that's crept into the way Christians look at at politics and it's this idea that all issues are equal. In other words, find the issues you care about and vote according to that. I want to read a really interesting passage. This is Jesus in Matthew 11. He says, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you, listen to this, gang, that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you, Capernaum. In other words, Jesus is making it very clear that all issues are not equal. Mm-hmm. All moral questions are not of the same importance or value, gang. My goodness. Jesus is saying in Matthew eleven twenty four that the homosexual sins of the city of Sodom, which brought down wrath from heaven on them, he says those are nothing compared to the city in the region of Capernaum rejecting Jesus Christ when he stood right before them and teached and taught and performed miracles. And Jesus is saying, look, this is a far more serious yeah. issue. So friends, just, just simply the concept that according to Jesus, some issues are more weighty than others. And you don't get to pick and choose. You don't get to say, well, you know, conservation. Mm-hmm. I'm concerned about conservation, and, and therefore that's how I'm going to vote. And I want to say, gang, I'm concerned about conservation. I personally contribute mm-hmm. financially to conservation causes. Okay, mm-hmm. I care about those things. Mm-hmm. I recycle. I, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. we, we do everything we can to, you know, lessen our carbon footprint and all of that. However. According to Scripture, conservation is nearly as significant as the value of human life. Mm-hmm. And so the practicalities of this is you don't get to just pick and choose the issues that are important to you, not if, not if you want to look at the world the way Jesus did. Yeah, that's immense because while God may call us to some specific uh, task or role or purpose, I mean, isn't one of the – the core human cravings is to have an impact. And if I want to invest my life to have an impact, what are the weightier issues, concerns, needs for me to address? I mean, I could spend my life battling secondhand smoke, you know, which may be a legitimate health issue. Right. But does it have the same weight as some other directions I could go in my life? Right. And and who interprets that? Who guides me there? Right. Right. Friends, you've been listening to the second part in a series on how did Jesus look at life? How did he look at the world? 
And what we've been trying to do in these podcasts is to awaken you to a couple of realities that you do have convictions and thoughts and passions about these things. You have a worldview. Yes. You have a way of looking at life. And to be honest, for all of us, all kinds of things have born those convictions and passions and assumptions. They come out of our brokenness, our culture, all kinds of other places. And what we want to do is bring all of that into line with the way that Jesus saw the world. Because as Peter said, he's got the words of life. There's just nothing better than coming into an intimate alignment with Jesus. And so maybe close our introductory podcast one and two here with this thought. As Craig was saying, we interpret life. We are constantly interpreting life, and we need an interpreter. Who will that interpreter be? Who is shaping our convictions about the world? We want it to be Jesus. Jesus.